Hello and welcome to this podcast series in which we explore the other ethnic identities in London, especially within the equality and diversity monitoring forms and the national statistics. Over the following 10 episodes, we will create a space for immigrants and members of the other ethnic groups to share our voices, developing a sense of community and belonging. My name is JC Candanido. And I'm Sanya Abdurrahman. And, and this, this is, is the, the other checkbox. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Other Checkbox, a podcast that was born from our continuous conversation and debates on identity and not feeling represented, where we will be interviewing individuals to share their stories, insights, and experience, and together we will explore the other ethnic identities in London. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the representation of mixed others, East Asian identity in the UK, and how does that affect your sense of identity and your feeling of belonging? Our guest is Eileen Lee, an award-winning artist and filmmaker who has exhibited across UK, including Publican, Tate Modern, National Portrait Gallery and White Chapel Gallery, as well as internationally in Paris, Berlin and Toronto. Hello, Eileen, and thank you so much for being today and welcome. Um, so to start off, can you introduce yourself and your own identity for us as well, please? Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to uh contribute to this podcast. So I'm an artist and a filmmaker and I'm of dual heritage, um, Hong Kong Chinese and white English. Fantastic. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in, in today. Um, do you feel represented in the diversity and inclusion forums or even in your industry? Well, I think it depends. You know, some of the forms are, are better than others. Um, for years, my only option was to tick other um, and then you started seeing mixed other. So I thought, oh, okay, there's a few more options there. Um, and then some give multiple mixed options, such as white and Asian or white and Chinese. Um, it's problematic that this method uses white as the default. Um, so it still means that the Asian or the Chinese bit is, is the other bit. So I guess um, with this in mind, I guess I don't feel represented. Um, I've seen some forms, I think from American organizations, that provide really long lists of options. So I think this is the only way to go, really, um, to, to actually provide more options, even if the list becomes really long, if meaningful data is to be, you know, genuinely collected. It's amazing. Thank you, Eileen, for sharing that. And also, I find it interesting you were saying it have, so you can kind of see how we have changed through the time. And on touching on that, like, do you think growing up or having that diversity of forms and not, not, not have feeling where, where you fit in, did this, um, how does this representation impact your life? Well, I think that, that's a big question. <laughs> I've never really thought of a tick box form having a big impact on my life, but um, doing your podcast actually made me think that um, it, it probably has had an impact. Um, because, you know, those options that are provided on those forms or, or not provided, they're part of a wider systemic sort of like system of oppression. Um, so, I mean, these forms have been around for, for years in this country, um, but we still have like wildly unjust systems that racialize and minoritize and invisibilize people of color. So actually, you know, what changes have they made so far? 
It's quite interesting that that you, that you say that uh, healing because uh, Sandy and I were discussing not so long ago how there are countries where these forms are not being used. Um, I think Germany doesn't use them, and some countries are planning on bringing them back after they have been out for so long uh, because they they want to collect data on this. And this is sort of like the inspiration for this podcast to understand this data that is being collected if it's being you know collected um, properly and. Um, this um, lack of representation, do, do you think that it, it affects your sense of belonging to a community or is there even a community that, that you can call your own? Well, I think um, being mixed race often means that you don't have a sense of belonging to one single community, um, but rather multiple communities. Um, I say, which at different times of your life or in different situations, I mean, that can maybe be confusing. And having spoken to uh, lots of people with like uh, mixed race identities, I, I know that is a, a common feeling. Um, but it also can be something to celebrate because it gives you uh, multiple perspectives from which to view life. And, and some of those are like a multiple embodied perspectives. Um, so as a kid, I grew up around my dad's Chinese restaurant um, so I was mixing with the Chinese community and the white English community. Um, as, a, as a teenager, my mum and dad divorced. And so I had less contact with the Chinese community. In my 20s, I lived in Bradford for a bit. And um, I found myself kind of, you know, relating quite closely to the South Asian communities there. And then, of course, I lived and worked in East London for 20 years, where I spent a lot of time mixing with black communities. So, um, you know, and, and from those communities, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself and my own um, racialized identities. Um, I also, you know, I think particularly in those times as well, there was more of a, a shared understanding that, that we were all like children of empire, really. And there was some kind of shared experiences within our differences of living with a diasporic identity. Um, so apart from seeing my Chinese family now and again, um, I, there are times in my life when I've not really been immersed in Chinese cult culture, but actually um, more recently that's changed, um, really because of the rise in Asian hate at the, you know, um, due to the, the coronavirus pandemic and how that, how, how that has been racialized, um, particularly in this country and in, in America. Um, but because of that, you know, I found myself, well, particularly this year, really, the whole of the year, I've had a lot of conversations, particularly with other artists of East and Southeast Asian heritage, um, discussing our identities, our complex identities. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of knowledge building and knowledge sharing within the East and Southeast Asian communities, um, which has been a really you know, a positive thing that's come out of um, a lot of racism, a lot, a lot of hatred. So that has actually felt empowering and continues to feel empowering. And it, that for me personally, um, you know, it feels like it's enabled me to shift the sense of my own identity as, um, as, a, as, a, as a mixed race, um, Hong Kong, Chinese, English, person I guess and um, that's, that's quite that's that's been refreshing you know after lo lots of years of relating to the idea of being minoritized because of uh, race or because of how you physically present you know suddenly I, I, I'm able to look at this in a new light so that actually it's been quite inspiring. I can totally relate to what you're saying I'm also mixed race and 
um, it's interesting when you say that um, it feels like sometimes you, you see yourself as other people see you. When I grew up uh, in Panama, I was seen as white because my family was half European. And then when I moved to Europe in, in my early teens, in my early 20s, then I, I was starting to be seen as Latin American, like third, uh, you know, third class citizen, citizen in, in a sort of way. And that has that was what triggered my own exploration of my own identity and my own heritage. Um, so I can totally relate to, to what you were saying and thinking also about the positive things that have come out of, of the pandemic, if, if, if we can make a positive analysis of such stark moments, um, I think that this exploration of our own heritage and where we come from is something that has been very present for, for a lot of like um, ethnic groups all over the planet, not only here in the UK. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because, um, as you might know, Elin, I was born in Egypt and I moved to the UK at 12, and we're all sort of Egyptians. So filling in the diversity inclusion forms was just always so difficult. You were like, do you not know what to put? And you were like, oh, you have this, but this is, is it even an identity? Is that a nationality? What do I put? So I always used to just like put down, I'm Egyptians, like how my parents have been teaching me because we don't have the monetary diversity forms in Egypt. And it's only lately that like, sometimes I put other, sometimes I put, if there's there, like, I kind of feel like I play around a little bit with the diversity in Washington. Depends on who is doing it and depends on where is it gonna be. So I wanted to ask if you, in in your experience, maybe in the last couple of years, if, if there, if you have found them at least any usefulness from doing the diversity monitoring form, maybe in the way that you work, and the work in the work you do, or if they're you find them completely unuseful <laughs> at all. I think um, if they're used correctly, I think they can be useful. Um, if there are enough options to tick, and if that data is used um, to seriously address inequalities, I think then they're a good thing. Um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, JC, that you know there are some European countries that don't don't even collect this data. Um, but then that means you know they haven't they haven't really collected data on who's been most impacted by COVID nineteen, for example. And as we've seen in this country, you know, um, some of the minoritized people have suffered more than others from the coronavirus. So I think it's important to collect um, and use this data to, like, for example, to address health inequalities. Um, so I think, yeah, ultimately, I think they're a good thing, but they have. I think there's a lot of work to be done in 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 how the options are presented and then how the data is. Um, processed and then you know what happens when you've got those results because um, we actually want to see some change come of the from these from this data that's being collected absolutely absolutely particularly if we've like you and I the mixed others if everyone is going to be put in those boxes how do you even know what's there and you said something really interesting also before going back to um, to how this all data is referenced everything is based on being non-white so white is like the measure and then everything that is non-British white then is considered um, a minority. And you've had, you've had this experience where you are half white, half British white and half um, Chinese. Um, how, how has that experience impacted like your whole life and, um, and the work that you do? Well, over the years, you know, when people, you know, have asked me about my heritage or, you know, where I'm really from, 
or uh, once a white person said to me oh you look like you've got something in you um, <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah What's that <laughs> mean? that's an example of yeah the white being the default but you've got yeah something else in you it's kind of like tainted that way so um, or you know you you kind of like you they think of you as like a some kind of mongrel mix like you you refer to dogs um and i yeah, over the years i generally have explained you know answered that question with like yeah my mom my mom's english and my dad's chinese and then people quickly jump in and like say oh, oh you don't look it and then i kind of think you know well what am i supposed wow. to look like and what do you think a uh, mixed race yeah, english chinese person looks like and you've obviously got some idea in your head about how I should pre be presenting in terms of my, my features and my, my skin color, et cetera. Um, but then I also think, oh, you've probably, you've obviously not met many Chinese English mixed race people because, mm -hmm. you know, I think actually this year I've been in a few Zoom sessions where there's been quite a few mixed race Chinese English people or Eastern Southeast Asian English people. Um, and, we do have some similar, you know, some similar uh, features. Um, so yeah, that's just some of my uh, my lived experiences. Mm. So just uh, going back to the diversity and inclusion form, um, I find that the only time that you have anyone that represents an East Asian community or Southeast Asian is always under Chinese. And um, when we speak about Chinese as an option in the mountain forms, do you think we're talking about a national identity or an ethnicity? And how does it differ from if someone comes from East Asia or Southeast Asia and does, does not refer to themselves as Chinese? I think that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the categorization of Chinese, it's always been contested and, and now more than ever. So, um, it's often used as a catch-all phrase for East and Southeast Asian people. Um, and that obviously that encompasses a lot of nations. And mm. within those nations, there are a lot of ethnicities um, because of you know, our complex histories. Um, and also now because of China's human rights violations and particularly the treatment of Hong Kong, you know, some, some people are choosing to distance themselves from that label also. For example, um, the, the term Hong Konger is being used instead of Chinese. Um, but I think now in this country, we're, we're using the term East and Southeast Asian um, a lot more as a, 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 to differentiate between all those nuanced identities. And also the term, you know, Chinese in, um, you know, in a, in a predominantly white nation such as Britain, particularly with its colonial past, you know, it, it plays into kind of um, orientalist um, racist stereotypes that basically, you know, all people from South and from East and Southeast Asia look the same. So, um, I mean, that that played itself out during the pandemic, you know, when when people were being attacked for just looking Chinese, you know, mm. people were like, well, I'm not even Chinese, I'm Japanese or I'm Korean, um, but I was still attacked and, you know, told that I was to go back to China. Um, so it, it's kind of, there's kind of meant lots of different layers to, to the, the, the notion and the use of the word Chinese. And I think it's, it's very, um, I think it's something that that needs to be unpicked and I think we are probably at, at a moment of reckoning with that. Um, I'm part of uh, an art collective where we're kind of doing a lot of work around um, 
the idea of critical Chineseness or critical Asianness, and we're really unpicking like what 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 does it mean, and what do, what what does it mean to be of East or Southeast Asian heritage, particularly of a diasporic heritage, um, and how can we best find the language um, to to talk about that, and you know the idea of unpicking critical Chineseness as part of that kind of conversation. That was actually going to be my next question because I wanted to know, we, we learned in the introduction all the amazing work that you do that has been you know, shown all over the world, but I wanted to really understand how do you bring that exploration of your own ethnic identity into the work that you do? Well, this year, um, well, I mean, over the years, like, so my, my practice is generally be, um, well, I think what you would call at, at the moment, like a socially engaged practice. So I, I've worked um, extensively, you know, like in community settings, I've made um, a lot of films in collaboration with young people, for example, and a lot of those projects have explored identity, um, but over sort of 20 years, I've often found myself as the, the facilitator in those processes where I'm kind of facilitating other people to explore notions of identity. But I guess this year, because of the um, Asian hate um, that has reared its ugly head over the past couple of years, I have found myself kind of looking more directly at my own um, heritage and my own lived experiences in order to um, make work. So um, last year I made a film called Casting Fu Manchu, which uh, was a direct response to um, the Asian hate um, that, was, that was going around. So um, some people, are, if you're over 40, you'd be really familiar with the character of Fu Manchu, which was basically um, a fictional character um, devised by a white English author in the early 1900s at the time when Yellow Peril was rife. So Yellow Peril is like the, the West's existential fear of the East, that like the East are gonna one day just take over the West. Um, and so this character Fu Manchu was kind of like, well, the, the author that, in, that devised the character Sax Roma actually described Fu Manchu as Yellow Peril incarnate. So basically it was a, a Chinese genius villain who was power crazy and, and uh, was determined to take over the world. Um, but as a, as a villain, the character was really popular in, in like mainstream media. So loads of films have been made uh, with casting with Fu Manchu as the main character. Um, he appeared in lots of um, TV series, in comic books. Um, but in the 90 years of being in the public eye, um, he was only ever played by white men. Um, so not only was it a racist character, sort of like um, inspired by the kind of the phobia of, of yellow peril, um, it was also um, a case of yellow face. So white men, um, you know, basically yellowing up to, to look East Asian. Um, so I put out a casting call to actors of East and Southeast Asian heritage to send me their audition tapes of them in role as Fu Manchu. And I asked, I, the, the call went out to male, female, non-binary, all age groups to send me the tape, but it's uh, of you in a subverted version of Fu Manchu. So over 50 actors sent me their tapes and um, those tapes formed the basis of the film. Um, so that was kind of us collectively subverting this character and subverting some, you know, some of the um, 
racist tropes that go hand in hand with with yellow peril. Are you displaying this work anywhere? Where, where can people get, have access to this work? Well, at the moment, it's just it's showing on a on a website called His House, which is um, a Sheffield based project come out of the University of Sheffield. So it's um, exhibiting online at the moment um, there for the next couple of months. Amazing. Amazing. So, Eileen, I know that you're doing a lot of activism a lot lately, and especially like with your artwork and, you know, owning up your identity and exploring that. Um, however, I see there is, in your point of view, do you see there is still a lack on a representation of SAS and um, East Asian and SAS East Asian in the UK, and especially with the rise of them um, Asian hate in the UK? And how, that, how could we challenge that further? Yeah, I mean, there's still not that much representation in the media. Um, and because of that, I think people generally revert to stereotype um, that, you know, East and Southeast Asians are quiet, hardworking, that we're a model minority. And of course, that's just not true. Um, I mean, if you've heard Hong Kong people talking together in Hakka or Cantonese, it's very loud. <laughs> and some of us actually can be quite lazy too. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, it's interesting, you know, what we're seeing coming out of America in terms of American TV and, um, and films at the moment. So you've got somebody like Aquafina, uh, um, who kind of pops up all over the place these days um, mm. as kind of like a, an, a, an antidote to the, um, an Asian American antidote to those, those kind of racist stereotypes. So I've been recently watching Aquafina in Nora of the Queens, um, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really funny series where she, yeah, she is su super lazy actually, you know, still lives with her mom in, in her 30s. Um, and then you've got also coming out of America like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, where it's the first Marvel film with um, an Asian American lead and majority cast. Um, so that's that's great that, that those things are coming out. But I think in this country, we still have a long way to go. Um, mm. There are comedians um, such as like Phil Wang and Nigel Ung who are doing, you know, really good work in terms of smashing those st stereotypes here. Um, there's also um, in the visual arts some great queer artists doing that work too. Um, there's an artist called Whiskey Chow who's who this year curated um, a festival called Queering Now, which was basically an exploration of um, yeah, well, it was it was showcasing work by um, queer artists of East and Southeast Asian heritage, and a lot of those are artists are based in the UK. Um, mm. But I think the mainstream media has um, a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, this conversation can start a little bit where people like even start researching. I think there's a lot, like you mentioned, Eden. There's a lot, lot more work that needs to be done, and that needs to be done from the communities themselves who want to know about other communities as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And it's not just about representation, is it? Because we've seen over the years that doesn't always uh, make a difference to the, the structural inequality that we, you know, that we experience. So we need both representation and we need um, structural change. Definitely. Um, bringing it back to the diversity monitoring forms and, and before we finish, um, the recording of the episode. What has been your experience of filling in this um, these monitoring forms? Um, 
Well, I think I'd just like to also add something about the, the, the terminology about the use of Asian, because, I mean, in this country for years, um, Asian normally refers to South Asian, so um, people from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Um, so then, but uh, you know, growing up as a kid, you learn like, for example, Hong Kong is in Asia. So you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm surely I'm Asian too. But then there wasn't any space to um, tick those boxes. Um, but I think that's the why now we're using the term East and Southeast Asian um, just to kind of, um, actually, you know, provide uh, a categorization that is distinct from um, South Asian. Um, interestingly, in the, in the US, it's the other way around. So um, Asian has hit the, the term Asian has been historically used to categorize East and Southeast Asian people. And so you find South Asian people kind of standing up and saying, yeah, but what about us? We don't fit into that category. Um, so I think eventually here there'll be we will begin a conversation about of you know all of those people whether you're east or southeast or south asian actually all identifying as being asian because you know learning more about our histories and cosmologies you know there are there are definitely crossovers particularly when you look start looking into southeast asian culture and mythology um, and how that kind of like actually intersects with a lot of um, uh, cosmologies and mythology from south south um, asia so um, particularly, you know, if you, it's obvious if you look at some like Hindu gods, for example, you see, you see similar iconography in Southeast Asia. Um, but the idea of continents itself is like a, a Western method of categorization. So maybe we need um, a new perspective on, on how we, you know, how we divide the world into kind of like um, sections that are like useful or easy for us to kind of like um, have having kind of like bite-sized chunks to put on a equal uh, e you know equal opportunity monitoring form. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that needs kind of like unpicking and looking at afresh. Believe me, that I totally understand what you're saying, uh, especially being Latin American, where. Uh, uh, we know that we are all in the same continent that is America, but when you think about Americans, you only think about the United States. So the rest of the continent, we are left out into other subcategories that actually don't make any sense at all. So I totally understand um, where you're coming from. Thank you so much, Eileen, for joining us today in this really eye-opening conversation about what it feels like being a mixed race and East Asian person in the UK. has been Ava Checkbox, a 10-episode podcast exploring London's other ethnic identities. I'm Sandy Abdurrahman. And I'm Jason Kandani Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a different episode each month. <laughs>